Welcome to episode 20 of the Women's Wisdom, Our Journey in Emergency Medicine, a production of the Women in Emergency Medicine section of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. In this episode, Dr. Molly Estes meets with Dr. Mary McLean to discuss the importance of being involved in organizations like AAM to support your career growth. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women's Wisdom Podcast. My name is Molly Estes. I'm clinical faculty at Loma Linda University in Southern California. And today I'm very happy to introduce to all of you, Mary McLean. Mary, go ahead and introduce yourself to us. Hi, I'm Mary McLean. I am an assistant residency director at St. John's Riverside Hospital in Yonkers, New York, and uh, I'm very happy to be here. And we are extremely happy to have you. So Mary and I have crossed paths with each other in a variety of different ways and a few of the different organizations and leadership roles that we share. Um, Share with us a little bit about the different hats that you wear. Oh gosh, so many. Um, So uh, the... uh... The residency program that I'm at right now uh, is a community hospital, and it's you know it's not tiny. It's it's a small to moderate size, and we tend to wear a ton of hats uh, as program leaders uh, within that team. So, um, in my own institution, like I said, I'm an APD. Um, I also uh, chair the institutional review board and the um, uh, program evaluation committee chair. Um, and I have a couple of other hats that I wear there. Uh, outside of my institution, I'm a, uh, um, so of course, AAEM, I'm, uh, uh, I'm the, the lead for the education work group for women in EM section. Um, and then I have a role with ASEP as well, the New York ASEP. Uh, I am the liaison between the education and research committees, and I've been doing that for a couple of years. So uh, busy, but all really great things. And every once in a blue moon, you occasionally get to sleep for a couple of hours. Yes. <laughs> it's tough because I am not a person that can survive on, on four hours of sleep. So I have to find balance somewhere. And, and, you know, I, I, I know that getting those eight hours every night or at least, you know, seven, that's going to help me perform a little bit better. Yeah. So I see this common theme in a few of your different roles between being an APD with a residency program and leading the education work group for women in EM and your role with New York ASAP and education there, education, education, education. How did you end up in academic medicine? Oh gosh, that is a really great question. So I guess I would trace it back to how did I end up in academics at all? And, and I, I, uh, Back in my university years, I did some TA work for a senior bioengineering class for uh, essentially the, the bioengineering degree that I had just completed. I stuck around for an extra year, completed the pre-med requirements, and I did um, TAing for uh, for a senior bioengineering class, which was like a longitudinal year-long class. And I found myself wanting to do more and more like group sessions and increase the size of those groups. Um, uh, I did more and more workshops and I found that my confidence was growing as the workshop group sizes increased. And I really, really enjoyed it. Something about standing up there and being able to actually, you know, have a conversation with your audience or impart some knowledge on your audience that you wish you had known when you were in their position. That's what I 
that's what I really love about it. So that's how I got into academics. Um, I kind of let that fall by the wayside a little bit for a few years as I got into medicine. And uh, I knew like from the get go um, in med school that I was going to want to go into emergency medicine. Um, as soon as I had that kind of, you know, that box sort of checked. And as soon as I was involved in emergency medicine, in particular in uh, um, toward the end of med school, that's when I started incorporating back all of the academic interests. I was an EMIG group leader, emergency medicine interest group leader, and I started doing more workshops for them as well. And it was on, you know, procedures and a little bit of um, epic training for dummies, which I, you know, it was fun. I got to do that with can my I, husband. Can I take this course actually right now? Um, I know. Because <laughs> I just got schooled the other day in some epic isms that I had no idea existed. <laughs> yeah. What? You don't know one of the million ways to do the million things that you need to do? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I'm lucky. My husband, uh, uh, my, my husband was a clinical informaticist um, and he is, I call him an epic genius um, because he can just tell me what to do on Epic, whether or not I'm, whether or not he actually has a screen in front of him, he can just picture it. It's pretty amazing. I feel like this is solidly cheating. I feel like you're cheating by having this resource readily available to you. Um, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you, that's, it's so neat to hear that you had a, a love of teaching and a love of explanation very, very early on. How did you continue that into residency, but more particularly that immediate, like post new grad resident, just after residency period of time, when you're so busy struggling, balancing, you know, just being a doctor, let alone doing anything else. I love this question. So, um, really what I did to incorporate the the academics into my residency, because that was sort of the struggle, you know, finding a way to incorporate sort of extra things into a year that is already just so booked up with all of your time and you're already not sleeping enough. And so the way that I did that was um, I made a conscious decision to get involved in one thing, at least, that I knew was in line with my early career goals. And for me, that thing happened to be uh, um, becoming the the program representative um, to the, the New York ASAP Emergency Medicine Residence Committee. Um, so I did that very early. I knew I wasn't going to have a whole lot of time in intern year, but I wanted to, like I said, make a conscious effort to get involved in that way. And in that one thing, I gave it my all. I came to every meeting. I asked for the days off for the meetings. I went to the events. I volunteered to help. I was even like, you know, looking at documents that they sent to proofread them and make sure they made sense and things like that. So I, I really felt proud of the reputation that I was able to build up um, throughout the year with just that one extra commitment that really was not more than like an hour or two per month. And by the end of that intern year, I knew a lot of people on the committee well enough um, that they understood who I was and and what my interests were and what my reputation was. And so I applied for a leadership position within that committee. It was a vice chair, chair, two-year appointment. Um, I was not super confident 
Um, it's probably a little bit of imposter syndrome that was in my head, but I put my all into that application and I got elected. And from there, I had my entire second and third year with this awesome commitment, which was a leadership position. And the amazing thing was that my network within the New York ASAP uh, EM residence committee had so many people that double dipped in other organizations. And so everything just snowballed from there moving forward. I ended up getting involved in a, um, a longitudinal fellowship, which is all NYCEM. It's a nonprofit educational consortium of educational leaders in New York City. And they do this longitudinal fellowship for senior residents um, uh, during their final, final year of residency. And some, some of the connections that I had with that group were, you know, ori originated with the New York ASAP. So it's really, I guess what I would say is don't underestimate just getting a tiny bit involved in one or maybe two things, even if you know you have a busy year coming up and just give everything that you have into those one or two extra things. I feel like that's such absolutely amazing advice for any stage of your life and career that you find yourself at. Right. And I feel like we are oftentimes messaged so consistently, especially early on in our careers, say yes to a lot of things. And I think that there is definitely a time and a place and a role for that particular piece of advice. But when you don't have time to say yes to a lot of things, say yes to one thing that means a lot to you and then give it your absolute best because you are really making a name and a brand for yourself um, amongst these people. And another part of what I love about what you just shared is the whole element of beginning to develop and grow your network, right? But we all in emergency medicine do acknowledge that not everything is about work. In fact, most of us chose this for, you know, a little bit of play associated too. So when you are not, you know, fundamentally rewriting educational philosophy for the state of New York <laughs> um, or growing up the next generation of EM physicians, um, what else do you like to do with your time? So oh, number one priority, uh, I am a big foodie. Um, so yes. on, <laughs> on any, you know, New York is really great for that on, on any typical day off, um, that I'm not clinical and not doing any admin work, which, you know, it's rare, but, um, uh, on one of those days off, I will typically, take the husband, go down to uh, New York City, maybe go to Chinatown in Manhattan, try a new dim sum place, maybe try some interesting bubble tea or some interesting desserts that I've you know never heard of. And we just see it as we walk by. Um, the funny thing about these trips, though, and one thing that I think people wouldn't expect about me unless they've you know had some time to get to know me and what I'm like, is that uh, my husband and I take our cat with us. Stop he, it. Yeah. We take our cat with us. We're kind of obsessed. We are kind of like, we used to be embarrassed about it. And now we're just like, you know, it's not worth being embarrassed. Oh People no. Nowadays well. you can just have like an Instagram <laughs> channel for, for your cat's adventures. Um, Mr. Pancakes may or may oh not my have God, an Instagram yes. <laughs> okay. Tell me what's, I'm literally going to, I'm literally going to friend your cat right now. What is, uh, what is your cat's Instagram? Uh, it's M I S T R dot pancakes. 
M I S T R dot pancakes. Pancakes. Yeah. He's a special guy. The first place that we ever took him was to Boston and that was a road trip. He, um, he, he, handled that really really well um he jumped up onto the back of the um like the little back dash and he just laid down with his tummy up in the air and was watching the clouds go by and the birds go by and everything truly enjoying himself we stayed in a hotel there he really enjoyed looking out the window we walked through boston commons and he you know we took him out on his leash there he got to climb some of the the lower trees and meet people uh and then after that we started trying airplane trips and he he's been now to let's see he's been to portland oregon san francisco napa twice san diego phoenix orlando um atlanta he's been he's okay i'm pretty well traveled but your cat might have me beat um (laughs) do you have one of those backpacks with like the space bubble for him to go into so he can still look out and see everything Yes, he loves it. He, he, uh, you know, if it's been too long since he last went out in it, he will jump into it in our apartment and just look at us. Like, <laughs> like it's time, mom. it's time for us to go on a trip. What's wrong exactly. with you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there, the obvious next question to ask is what has been the most interesting or unique reaction that you've ever had walking into a restaurant in Chinatown, um, with ah. your cat? <laughs> you know, I can kind of like control who sees him and who doesn't. So I can, I can make it into just about any restaurant, like even probably a fancy restaurant. Cause it just looks like a backpack from the backside. I just t- take it off and I just like kind of angle the little, the little see-through bubble in a way that people can't see it. But, um, you know, the most interesting reaction I mean, there's once in a while, there's the person that screams because they don't expect to see him and they don't expect like such a poofy, floofy little white cat with like giant eyes in the middle of a restaurant. So there's that. But the 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 more common thing that I see is just people taking pictures of me, like facing away from them with the cat back backpack on. And I was like, I'm not that weirded out by it. Some people probably would be, or would at least want to be asked to have photos of, of their backside taken, but I'm just like, okay, whatever. So what you're saying is, is that your cat and the back of your head is famous on uh, social media. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I desperately (laughs) wish I could do this with, uh, either of my cats. I I have two cats. They're they're brothers. I adopted from the animal shelter. Neither one of them would tolerate this in any way, shape or form. So I have a little, (laughs) I have a little cat jealousy right now. (laughs) Oh, I think we started him kind of on the earlier side. He was, uh, he was maybe five and a half months, six months or so, uh, when we started doing the traveling and we started, started pretty, pretty slow and low key, and then started ramping it up. And he was just there for every part of it. So (laughs) Well, there you go. In case anybody (laughs) out there wants to train their cat, start it early, but it is possible. Yep. (laughs) Well, sadly, as we begin to draw the conversation to a close, um, let's end with this question. If you were looking back on your life, career, everything up until this point, is there one particular time that you can see where you made a decision that you are 
particularly proud of or particularly grateful that you made that decision um, or perhaps a decision that you made that you regret a little bit, but still appreciate because it contributed to where you are today? That's a really great question. Um, we've already talked about uh, one of my big regrets, but I would, I would actually like maybe revisit that a little bit because it is a big thing that's always prominent in my head. It's saying yes to too many things. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do love kind of talking about this and, and I'm trying to teach about it a little bit more because, you know, we live by this med school mantra, say yes to everything, but you cannot perform well if you're saying yes to everything. So I would say probably one of the things that, that I regretted about residency, um, was overcommitting. And, uh, it, it really, you know, it, it got to the point, uh, I'd say halfway through my senior year of residency where I had way too much on my plate. I was starting to miss meetings. I was starting to underperform, uh, on, you know, research or whatever committees that I was a part of. I was, I was, uh, I was really just not doing that well. And my wellness started suffering as well. Um, you will I I mean, everyone will find themselves in that situation at some point. I mean, it's all a balance. You, you kind of fluctuate a little bit between overcommitting and undercommitting, and you find yourself bored if you're undercommitting, and then you find yourself too stressed out if you're overcommitting. And I think that the way that we handle ourselves when we finally realize we have overcommitted is, uh, that's, that's the key here. Um, when I sort of crashed and burned a little bit during my senior year, what I did was reach out to my mentors and talk through it and just talk with, talk with my, my mentors openly and honestly about the fact that I can't do this anymore. And then I found the people that were on my team that I could lean on. I, I leaned on my, my co-chief, his name is Cam Ali. Um, he, he like just very gracefully took on a lot of the, the chief load from me um, so that I could go on a more intensive rotation and not have to worry too much about all the chief stuff. Um, and you just have to know that you can ask people for help in that way, but you just have to be aware that the way that you respond to somebody asking you for help um, should sort of reflect what you want when you're asking someone else for help. That's what I'd say such a good reminder. It's so true. We always, I, I tell my residents, uh, and my students actually both balance. It's not a binary state. It's not that you're either in balance or out of balance. It is a continuous, uh, spectrum. And it's important, uh, to remind ourselves that we will have those seasons of time when we either maybe should be doing a little bit more with ourselves or maybe need to be giving something else up. And so having those people to pull on, to rely on that we know will support us when we do find ourselves on the deep end of the spectrum is so, so important. Well, Dr. McLean, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy, but wonderful and fulfilling schedule in order to do this podcast with us. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit more about yourself and your insights into life. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a wonderful experience and it's good to see you again. (laughs) Always good to see you too. And to all of our listeners out there, we will see you on the next episode of Women's Wisdom. Take care, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. 
AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. For more information about AAEM, visit our website at www.aaem.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAEM website under resources and then publications. Join us again next episode for a new journey through emergency medicine.